Hi, I'm Jim. And I'm David. And this is the Practical Guitarist Podcast. The podcast for people who eat, sleep, and breathe guitar. Hello, Jim. Oh, David. I've heard there's a lot of new stuff going on right now. Can I start? Because I... Yeah, you gotta start. Cause cause I got short ones, right? Once I go once I get going, this is there's this train is not stopping. I, I know. That's why I'm thinking. Maybe I should do this first. So I got um <laughs> I, I got a pair of shoes. They showed up. This is this is this is a little bit of you know cultural humor for the for the time period, right? So I ordered a pair of shoes off Zappos, my first Zappos purchase ever, because I would never buy shoes online. As I said. Okay. We talked about the pig and the poke thing, like not being able to try something before you buy it. Well, shoes are one thing you probably should try before you buy them. Um, so I ordered from Zappos and then I waited like seven days. So I ordered them before the last episode and then they showed up. And guess what? They were the wrong freaking shoes. So I get on their customer service and they're advertising on the box as great service, right? I get on their customer Uh-oh. service and I tell them, you sent me the wrong shoe. And it's very clear they do not realize they sent me the wrong shoe. And we go through this whole conversation. I'm like, when are you going to give me my shoes? Like, when am I going to get the right ones? And when do I got to ship these back? And how am I shipping them back and all this stuff? And and the dumb part about it was they were refusing to, like, overnight them to me. And I'm like, you guys messed up. Like, what is going on here? Um, I'm not paying the shipping charges. And I don't think I should have to wait another six days. Like, you guys are crazy. So, anyway, long story short, I got my shoes on Sunday. The replacements, so I've been wearing them today. It's great, oh, but that actual well, today is Sunday, I, huh? Today is Sunday. Yes, I think I got them this morning, or yet no, I think I got them yesterday. Actually, I got them yesterday afternoon. Okay. I didn't put them on until this morning. I, I was afraid to open the box until this morning. I was like, if I open this box, it's the wrong shoe. I'm going to lose my mind. Um, so I'm going through this as quickly as possible because it's not guitar talk, right? Uh, now I got my unicorn. Um. Jeez, I think it was Friday, my my uh, JHS unicorn. And um I don't know. Oh, that unicorn. I thought you were talking about a different unicorn. Oh, okay. no, I think okay. I actually got it earlier than that. I got it sometime this week and like I sat on it for two days because I just did I not like have it. time to rip my board apart. Well, yeah, so I put it on my board. Um I tried it with the direct out in the ethos, and it was like it was okay, you know. Um and because I'm a I, dude, I'm a unified connoisseur, so my first impression of it was like, eh, I can use it. It's not, it's not like the viscous vibe where I had like intense problems from day one, but it was right. like, eh, it's passable. Um, and so I played it with the ethos for a couple hours, just direct into my interface. And then, uh, yesterday I put it through my, no, yeah, I think it was yesterday, whatever. It's all running together. Cause I've been editing the episode and everything else. Uh, the last week's episode. Um, I put it through the Mesa, uh, this, this evening and that kind of changed my opinion. At first I wasn't thrilled. I like had to tweak the settings a little bit and then I got it and I was like, okay, this is kind of where I want it to be. It's a really good U- Univibe and I, in my impression, uh, it's like more subtle than most of your Univibes are where they're like really in your face. This Univibe is kind of like back in the mix a little bit. And it, that, that's kind of cool because it allows your real guitar tone to shine through and you're going to tweak the, um, the depth to get what you want out of it. It doesn't overtake your tone. Um, the one in the Kemper, I have to play with the, uh, the mix knob on it because 
if you leave the mix knob at 100%, which is where you would typically leave a Univibe, um, it gets to the point where I've actually had people come up to me and be like, are you using a wah? No, yeah, it's yeah. a Univibe. Like, yeah. um, so that it is what it is. It's a cool pedal. It, it worked out pretty good on my board so far. Um, I have to say that the pictures I sent you, Jim, I'll probably flash them at the bottom of the show somewhere um, with the, the rig setup. Um, aside from the psycho cabling that was going on because I was just patching. Things. I felt like I was playing an analog or one of those uh, modular synths. Just patch this here and here <laughs> as fast as I could. And I'm literally pulling pedals off the board, moving them over so I could stick a cable in. Um and uh, no, I got it all going and it sounded really, really good. And to the point where I'm like, why do I even have a Kemper? <laughs> I mean, that was that was kind of the impression. In fact, I sent um, my my local Mesa dealer is uh, Good Time Music and I sent them a picture of my rig. And I was like, congratulations, you win. <laughs> you know, like, what, what do you want me to do yeah, here? Well, <laughs> I don't think I don't think anybody I don't think anybody in the world in their right mind. <laughs> Um, no, in the right tonal mind, let's kind of talk about that, um, says, oh, yeah, I got my new Helix, or I got my new Kemper, and now I'm going to throw all my amps away. I, well, I think that person is just saying, I have to I have to support my habit, and I'm selling stuff. That's, right. That's this, is, this is a tool for the job, but I've been kind of going back and forth, and it's like, well, you know, I use the Kemper. I get away with the Kemper. There's a lot of things in the Kemper I like. Um, I could sell my Kemper and all the gear I've got for it, and I could go to, like, a Captor X and get a really nice second tube amp and it's kind of like mm, it's tempting it really is but yeah. i'm not i don't think i'm headed down that path i don't i, I, I really i really don't and the only reason why i say that is because i i feel like um i've got the good tube amp that i can do a lot with like i mean i was getting plexi tones out of that thing tonight and i was doing right, it by right. uh, using the king of tone into the extreme channel and i and i had the extreme channel gain at like nine o'clock i mean it's it's like a crunch thing um, but I really think that at some point, you know, that'll probably be a viable option for me, but it's not yet, maybe in a year or two, two, three years. It just depends on where I go musically. Like if I start playing with more like bar bands and stuff like that, then it probably makes more sense to keep the digital rig going. Um, but if I start playing with, uh, you know, by myself and getting some paid gigs here and there, like I probably will pony up and get the equipment that I want to sound like rather than to sound they like that equipment, if that makes sense. Um, yep. So anyway, Jim, you've got you've got some lovely new items. I can see some of them. Yeah, um, so, yeah, you can see one of them and here's the other one. Is that thing a special um, color? Or is it just the way it's showing up on the video? This? Yeah. The line six? Um, yeah, that's a special color. So I got I got brushed gold for free for it was yeah, the same price. Right. So it's a it's a brush called it it says gold. It says limited edition gold. It even comes on the box, big limited edition thing. Um, but the box still has a picture of a black one on it. So they didn't do a very good job there. But anyway, some things they didn't do a very good job with. But should I start with the spark or should I start with the helix? Which one <laughs> which should one I start you, with? Which one do you think has more comedy gold? I, I the little impression you gave me the helix before the episode started. I actually intentionally wouldn't let Jim tell me too much because I, it already got bad. <laughs> it was yeah. Like, okay. All right. So we'll start. We'll start with the helix. So on Friday, was it Friday or Sat? Friday. You probably Friday. picked it up I Friday. To... I didn't hear about it till Saturday, yeah. but whatever. Saturday morning. So I asked a few people, and I said, "This is what I'm doing." I said, "I know what David's going to tell me," and I can oh. always go back to that. But 
I need some other input. So I asked a few people and they said, for what you're doing, it sounds like you're more Helix than Kemper. Um, give the Helix a go. Okay. So, um, and they said, are you stuck in the Helix if you get it? I said, no. I'm not even stuck with a, with a um, stocking fee. I'll, I got six months to bring it back. So, um, long story short, I buy it, I bring it home. I know that I'm going to have to uh, connect it to the um, computer and upgrade the firmware. So I said, well, I may as well have my dinner first, eat dinner, sit down to the Helix, hook it up. All right. Blue screen of death. On the Helix? First thing. Boom. No. On the computer. On, on your PC? Yeah. I'm like, what? Disconnect it. Reboot the computer. Works fine. Put, put, uh, hook up the... Um, now, of course, I've downloaded and installed the drivers, by the way. I forgot to say that part. Yeah. Nowhere in any of the documentation does it say about known issues. One known issue, which is all over freaking the internet once I, I Googled it. <laughs> I'm like, what did I do wrong? I'm installing the drivers. I'm reinstalling the drivers. I'm going to blue screen of death. Haven't I'm we already into- talked about their manuals and their lack thereof? I'm going to registry edit. I'm freaking pulling everything that says line six out of it. Registry. Line six, line six, line six. I don't even care about history in my documentation file. Pull it out. Throw it away. I go, uh, I bring up blue screen of death. Anyway, I Google it. Simple thing. This camera, I'm pointing to you, Mr. Camera. Logitech has a thing called G-Hub. And yeah. if G-Hub is running... I know about G-Hub. It, G-Hub, yep. Yeah. If G-Hub is running and you connect the, the Kemper, or I mean the, the, the Helix, known issue all over the internet, crashes. Blue screen of death. What are the odds? What are yeah. the odds? What are the odds that, that someone has a Logitech camera? What are the odds that someone would have a Logitech camera? I don't know. No, no, Maybe. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Like, what are the odds that you're video camera hardware would have anything to do with the Helix. No, it's just the, that software, that new G-Hub software. All right, so I all I had to do was stop the G-Hub software. The camera will work with it. I just can't run G-Hub software, which is the controller software, you know, for changing right, the right. coloring and everything else. All right, so that's fixed. So then I go, okay, time to upgrade the, upgrade the firmware. Okay. And it says go to 2.9, then 2.92. I go to 2.9, I download 2.9. It says upgrading to 2.92. And I went, no. And then it crashes. Right in the middle of firmware update. So I'm sorry. I I took a shower. My hair is actually falling into my face. So (laughs) I'm sitting there. I'm like, you mother, just like, get the. All right, can, can I can I stop? So wait, wait. Okay. It doesn't. It gets better. So you can boot it up into a safe mode. Right. You hold two buttons, boot uh-huh. it up into safe mode, and get it back. Ask me how I know. Yeah. So I boot <laughs> it up into safe mode. The drivers now don't work. They don't talk to it. They <laughs> see it as a keyboard, and they're like, your your uh, Helix keyboard doesn't work. What? And so I spent another 20 minutes. And with that, finally I fixed that. And that all I did was tell it to update 
Oh, wait, the both times I have put in a ticket to, uh, to line six, both times. Because that part gets better. So um, I, put the, I put the line six thing in there. I connect it up. Um, I get it to where now it'll, it'll look at it. But I cannot get the software to talk to this thing. I go get a Mac. It's doing the exact same thing. Mm. What is going on? I'm following the instructions by the letter. And then Chad Boston. Yeah. Um, kind of a shout out to Chad Boston for the help. Although, um, Chad, you don't have to spend seven and a half minutes telling people you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that, you shouldn't do the other thing. Just spend the 30 seconds that you needed telling people what they should do. Um, I got it up in, you know, like I said, it was up in safe mode. You're not supposed to launch the Helix edit and then do the update. You have to do the updater, the Line 6 updater. But the instructions say to open the edit and then launch the update from the edit. So um, I open the edit or the updater. That talks to this. Then I get it updated. So then I walked it through version by version. Even though it says you can upgrade right to this version, I went, no, no, I'm not. I am going to update you to every single firmware along the way. And I did. I updated it from 2.3 to 2.31 to 2.32 to 2. <laughs> whatever was in between, I went to. Um, and it finally worked. And it was like three o'clock in the freaking morning. And I'm like, I'm exhausted. I'm going to bed. Not one yeah, he guitar lick. one note. <laughs> Did you even patch in a guitar at that point? Nope. Didn't even patch. I didn't even test it. Next morning, take out the alto, um, connect it up so that I've got a monitor, right? Connect it directly to the alto, go to the, um, you know, power up, connect everything together, plugged in my computer, the, the sound. Actually, the, the focus right, but it doesn't matter. Directly into it. And I look and I'm like, you're kidding me. You're, you mean to tell me they use quarter-inch aux instead of eighth-inch aux? Seriously? Who has a quarter-inch aux anymore? So I had, to use, I had to go get a guitar cable, a stereo quarter-inch cable, to connect the two together just so I could test to make sure. Because I didn't know if the left channel or right channel was well, going to come through. In, in pro audio, like that is the way you do that. Even your headphone connections, like when you buy a pro audio set of headphones, yeah, they yeah, have yeah. the bigger plug. So, But they didn't have any eighth-inch. I just They didn't give you like a lot of them will give you the, the adapter. Yeah, usually you, get, my, usually you get it with the, the headphones. That's yeah. yeah. So I find a quarter-inch, quarter-inch stereo connector, um, which I had. I hook it up, fire it up. Okay, making sound. Okay. Um, so then I pull that out. I'm like, okay, hook up the guitar. Okay, makes a sound. I go to start using the uh, built-in patches. And as you know, built-in patches They're suck. They're abysmal. Bad. They are horrible. It, they're embarrassingly they, bad. It's, it's almost like they never expected anybody was actually going to look at them. Line six, here, message to line six, and, and I'm sure that I'm not the first person on YouTube or a podcast to say this. Your patches suck. Suck. They're horrible. Even the clean patches are terrible. Um, so it's, it's almost like they put them together in like with a bunch of 10-year-olds listening to them. What do you think? Oh, they're good. Uh, can we have Bob Pops now? I mean, it's like. I, I don't know what's going on. I think it was just to like 
it's like keyboard syndrome, right? So when you go, if you ever been yeah. keyboard shopping before, if you ever looked at synthesizers, like yeah. the ones that have all the shiny, bright, blinking lights are usually the ones that sell, and they're usually also the least powerful. <laughs> yep. So so I'm then I go to um, build a patch. So I go to the user selection. You know that there's eight groups of set lists. So I go, all right, I'm just going to build a set list of my own. So I go into the first patch. I build a patch. And I get done building the patch. And I see it on the Helix. I'm like, okay. All right, I'm, I'm messing around with it a little bit. So I say, okay, I'm going to build the next one. So I go to the next one. And the first one disappears. It's gone. And I was like, <laughs> it just happened. So, did you, so click, to... did you click save before you moved on to the next? Okay. And I push the next. I go back. I rebuild that one from scratch. I rebuilt that so many times that I had it memorized. I had all the settings memorized. Finally, I hit save on the device instead of in the software because I'm using HX Edit. I want to use the computer. That's the whole reason. Is it saving it on the computer directly? Because I know you can do that. I did. And you know what it did? It saved the empty bank. I don't know how. Oh, interesting. And it, I, yeah. And so it, it it had the right name. Yeah, see, I never, I, messed made, with, I never messed with the set lists. I always just made, like, patches. And then if I was going to build a set list, I would have then copied them into I the I saved set it list. patch by patch. That's what I was trying yeah. to do was save it patch by patch. After I created that patch 16 times, I saved it on the freaking um, Helix. I was like, all right, this. I hit hit save on the Helix. And that worked. You know, and it worked. It saved. I have one patch. <laughs> How many hours? So we're talking about a three-hour process here to get one patch in there to work. Now, um, no, no. How long did it take you to dial in originally, though? Oh, Jesus. So dial in a patch took me forever. I mean, probably of that three hours, it's probably about an hour and a half, almost two hours to dial that patch in to get it where I wanted it. And and so, like, let me get your impression, because I've had one, right? So I kind of yeah. know the lay of the land. The amplifier um, section, so like when you I was using a Brit normal. Yeah. yeah, but when you go in there and you're playing around with those settings... How many parameters does that actual amp have? Like eight, right? The real amp. Like volume, bass, metal, treble, presence. Right. How many controls are in the Helix? Yeah, like, like 16. 16? <laughs> yeah, ridiculous number. And how many of them actually do something? None. Okay, and then all right, I want to get to the next part because right, right. I'm, I'm not done. I'm not done because it's so much fun. Um, now I'll, I'll explain why I'm going through all this. Cause I've told you, I'll wait till the end here to tell everybody else. But so then I hit the mode button because I want to be able to see all my things laid out, you know, all my, um, pedals laid out onto the, onto the, uh, buttons. Oh yeah. No, I have to assign them all. Yeah. You have I to was assign like, them. you know what? I quit for now. I have done too much. This is way too much work. I'm done. Oh, the I assigning is easy. Oh, I know, I know. But I was like, you know what? I just spent three and a half yeah. hours or whatever messing around with this freaking thing. 
the wah pedal and volume pedal are the same. You got to do a thing. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I, I, I'm just done messing with it. I'm going to mess with it later. Um, and I never went back to it. Well, so for, for your reference, when you do go to assign the uh, foot switches, if you touch yeah. them, they're capacitive. So yep. it, all you have to do is have the, the effect highlighted and then touch the foot yeah. switch and it and then it comes up a little menu and then you can click assign. So you don't it's yeah. not like super complicated. But I get it. Like you spent three and a half hours doing what I did the first time that I started messing around with the helix, which was dialing in something that was not really all that usable, probably. And then yep. just like okay. I mean it, it, Sound quality aside, because like at this point, we're not really even talking about what we're it not, sounds yeah, like. Yeah, we're not there yet. We're not, because you haven't really had that much experience with that. No. But the user interface, no. you know, people talk about how great the user interface is on these products. And I just laugh, because I'm like, the Helix is like so far from being a good user interface, from my perspective. And even the Head Rush, who is, they says, the king of the user interface. It's crap. Oh. It's not any better. It really isn't. I sat I sat in the store and played with the played with the head rush for two hours. And I was like just now scratching the surface, even though it's a touchscreen of like, okay, so this is how I do this and this is how I do that. So I, I really do understand where you're coming from. And um, it's so easy, especially in the GUI, it is so easy to unassign something you just spent an hour like the King of Tone, right? I dropped a King of Tone. Yeah. Or was it the Sovereign. Sovereign, whatever. Because right. because they can't make names that are like really indicative of what you're doing. Not right. like the brand name, but you could call it a Brit 800, and then I know it's JCM 800, right? Or, right. you know, no, we yeah, got to make it the Sovereign Driver. Yeah. So anyway, you spend all this time messing with the Sovereign Drive. This happened to me. This was part of the three and a half, you know, that. I get the Sovereign Drive just the way I want it. I say, okay, now I want to mess with the other one. And it is so easy because uh, then I click off of it. I click to the other pedal. I I adjust that. Click back to the Sovereign Drive. But you get to clicking back and forth because you're trying to, you know, level those things out. And because they're not physical, if instead of clicking the button for the, so you know, the, the, yeah. the uh, physical... Uh, location and mm -hmm. you use the GUI instead of clicking that you click like TS-808 because you know you have a TS-808. Your settings are gone. Go, you just gave yourself a new TS-808 and all the settings you had. Are yep. you sure you want to this up and you don't have an un button? Yeah, uh, there's no undo. There's no, there's no redo. The Kemper has that. Okay, which is really cool. Oh, they they did put an, uh, an undo and redo the, on the on the the application. Oh, the yeah, not on, but the, not not on the, the device. Not in the device. If you do it, you're dead. Right. And so that's the other th the other thing I want to point out was you can't set defaults for the things that you use a lot. So like you can't have a preset like a preset right. that's like an, an 808 callback setting. It, right. It, which boggles my mind because right, once you get it dialed for the guitar you're using, it's like, okay, I just kind of want to just pull up these settings. Right. Why would every I want your generic time. 808 every single time? I want the one I just built. Right, right. And and with as many parameters as in as is in the Helix, I mean, it gets bonkers fast. Um, you can you can so what I did, Jim, just to give you a heads up, I created in one of the user profile, you know, there's pages of, of uh presets like user five, 
I put a patch in there that had my favorite stomp box settings and then I yep. would copy paste. But the yeah. way but yeah. you have to copy paste using so like I would create that new patch and then yep. modify the crap out of it. Right. Because you can't copy from inside that patch to another patch. It's it's so convoluted. Um you can't you should be able to just drag pedals around willy-nilly. They should have like a pedal drawer. Like if you're gonna if you're gonna build an interface, this is this is me talking to the to the GUI people. If you're gonna build an interface, build it like you use it. Workflow is workflow, right? How do you pick a pedal that goes onto your board? You go into your closet or whatever, wherever you have your pedals, and you pick the pedals you're gonna put on it. Then when you put the pedal down, what do you do? You assign settings to the pedal, right? We tweak them in. And we say we might even take the pedal. And you've seen this on pro boards before, where it'll say like LP for Les Paul, SG, you know, yeah, for the uh, settings, scrap, right? Telly, right? I mean, is that so hard? Is that really so hard that I can't say, okay, you know what? I want the 808 with the settings that I use it because I should have, I should be able to put a hundred TO8s, TS808s in my software, in the GUI software, as much room as my computer will hold. Yeah. And that's another you can thing. address that. That's another thing. So that so the Helix doesn't have like pretty much any hard drive space. Um, it can hold 127 impulse responses at like what like max five megs each. Uh, and it can hold. I mean, thumb drives have more storage space than the Helix does. I was just gonna say there is a magical thing called a thumb drive, <laughs> or the other magical thing that most of these pedal systems that need stuff have. Even my freaking um, Jam Man has, and that's a slot for a for card. An SD card, right? So you can back it up. So I could have a card the size of my guitar pick, and I could back it up. But instead, you give me a cool little freaking um, uh, flash drive with manuals. With your manual on it that's already out of date. When I way get it. out of date, and they don't update their manuals very frequently either. So this is so let me give let me give my side of what what's been going on with Jim. So I get this message, I get this cryptic message, and it was all, I, I I interpreted it, and I know this is not what you're doing, but I interpreted it initially it's like an apology. Well, I know you gave me advice, but I decided to do the other thing. No, it was kind and of then, like that. It was, and I, I know I went against your and advice, I, and I laughed because I'm like I'm like I don't care. You do what you want, but anyway, um, I I I I was like, well, let's see where this goes, and then. Uh, I he didn't really say much to me, and then I texted him, and I was like, I was like, let me know when you stop cursing, because I figured he was already like it hasn't stopped yet. He already had like a <laughs> minute, a moment, you know. And um, later on, I you know he, he sent a message back, and he said it hasn't stopped yet, and he said I'm at a birthday party. We'll talk later. And um, I was just I I just had this moment where I was like, wow, Jim Jim is like going right down the rabbit hole that I went down, and like God. is you know. The thing with me was like, I spent the money already. So I'm like, I already had it by the time that I was like, you know what? This is a pain in the ass. And yep. uh, so I sat on it for like two years or a year or whatever I had mine. And I yeah, was, you had it least a year, if not yeah, two. I was just, and the whole time I was like back and forth with it. It was convenient, but it was like convenient and also a time suck. And unfortunately, as guitar players, like we don't think about this because it's something we love to do. But the more time you spend dicking around with your gear, and I'm going to say that in, in jest, 
the more time you mess around with your gear, like the less time you're going to actually have to play your play. gear. And that, if you and actually like to play your gear, maybe the Helix isn't for you. The other thing is, I, um, as part of this conversation, Jim, the back and forth between you and I and, and the Helix thing, like I sort of thought like, cause you, you'd had the pod HD 500 and we were looking at the user interface. We did a remote session and we were both looking at the user interface together. And I thought to myself when I was looking at it, I was like, well, HX said it really isn't that different than this. And nope. then he, and then he tells me he's buying a Helix. And I'm like, Oh, <laughs> this is no good. So I'm not surprised well, to hear any of this, but I'm also surprised that it's as extreme as it is. <laughs> we're supposed to get, so we're supposed to get some Helixes in stock next week. You mean Kempers? So Kemp, I'm sorry. Kempers. Yeah. We're supposed yeah. to get some Kempers in stock at Guitar Center at the, at the warehouse. Right. So if there are some, and I'm not satisfied by next week, you're going to be taking a long, hard look at it. I'm going to, I'm going to ditch it. And uh, I'm going to, honestly, put, honestly, Jim, for you, it may make more sense for you to get the Captor X and just use your amps and go direct. Well, okay. So here's the problem. So we're not supposed to have amps on stage. So get it's, ahead and just stick it on the floor the, behind you. Or well, whatever. that's it. So the band I'm in I'm supposed to have no amps on stage. So I thought about that. I thought about just buying a Bantam. Yeah. And going or, or, or even, um, I wouldn't buy a Bantam, but uh, I I watched several videos on that amp because Robert Jackson posted his, and I honestly thought like, wow, it sounds okay for 150 bucks, <laughs> but I'm like, yeah. I don't know that I would necessarily. Oh, but all but, right, so I want to put I want to put my position in perspective because this is me in the band. So the other guitar player is using a Tone Lab. SE from right, 2002, which, which a lot of people expect. think that those are pretty good even now. Yeah. I yeah, I'm just personally, I'm, I'm not on that side, but but I get it. But I'm just saying that. So he's putting pedals, real pedals, into a Tone Lab SE, which is his whole rig. He does not have an IR on the other end. His amp and well, cab yeah, no. So the the Tone Lab has has cabinet simulation. Has a built in cab sim, yeah. And now, so he's because when you flip it to PA, there always used to be an old switch. You'd flip it to PA mode. So he's got it PA mode. And so it's it's emulating a two by twelve or a four by twelve or whatever it's emulating. Is it the two is it the tube input one? Yeah, that's the okay. one that's got that's the, why that's yeah. why he's running pedals into it. Because if you so that was part of the allure of those for a lot of people was that oh I can right. run pedals into it because the input stage is gonna clip nicely. Instead of clipping, like I had crap. one. I bought it back when it was six hundred dollars. Yeah, six fifty. Yeah. They still they go for about two hundred bucks used, which is pretty impressive given that they're you know an out given of date like half digital piece. Yeah, close to twenty years old. Um, now, now for, I'm just the only reason I say that is because, in all honesty, um, and he's not listening, so it's okay. His his tone is terrible. You could so you could have saved a buttload of money though and just gotten a fly rig. I thought about that. And just put some modulation in front of it. You'd be you'd be golden. Um honestly, if you have to go direct, you had the perfect direct rig at one point. You had the yeah. amp one. Blue rig. Yeah. Yeah. And uh I kinda wonder if you should just look to get one used. Thought about it. And that's the other thing I thought about. I mean that's it's just buying a blue. Because at least with the amp one, 
it's just set it and forget it. Like twist some knobs, done. It's not like that. I I see the value in it. Playing around with the Kemper versus like me getting to spend two hours with the the mark tonight. I set my mark up. I kind of tweak things a little bit as I go, but mostly it's set it and forget it. I'm not playing around with settings everywhere. Even the pedals on the floor, I'm tweaking them with my foot because I'm like, I don't really need to bend over or even adjust anything because it's basically the way I want it. Whereas if I'm running the Kemper, I mean, I'm saving stuff, copy and paste and moving things around, changing the delay, tap tempo, you know, this crazy crap. And I'm like, wait a minute, where's the, where's the guitar playing here? You know, the, the truth of the matter is that, and this is the, uh, this is the good and the bad. So the truth of the matter is what I want to be able to do is just go, okay, I'm going through a set list. I'm going to go through some songs, right? And I want to just go take a song and then the snapshots within that song are going to be that thing. So whatever this, you know, the solo, the chorus, the verses and whatever. And uh, those will be how I do it. Just like I had, I actually didn't mind that with the HD 500. The problem with this, this is not the amp. Remember with the HD 500, I had the blue. The problem with this is you have to be more careful about the output volume. You know that, right? And yeah. so, yeah, you've Remember got to Remember how think, I bitched okay. about it not having metering? Do you, know how yeah. I, do you know how I would meter it? I'd run it into my DAW and I'd pull up a VU meter and I would look at the LUFS volume rating and I would play yeah. for two or three minutes and play some song, you know, the song I was going to play and then I would sort of know and it would be balanced. And and even their default settings are all over the place in terms of volume, which is hilarious to me. It's like the you guys could even should all be exactly the same. Yeah, exactly the same. If I want a if I want a global master volume of six, then that global master volume should be six, and that volume knob should be my global master. That's that's it. It should Done. never get. Done. You shouldn't have per patch volume. This whole idea that you want some patches to be 3 dB back and 6 dB it's bullshit. No. If I want that, I put it in a boost in the freaking patch. Yep. After the amp. That, the amp model itself should always be the same because volume. What I did was I tried to go cheap because I didn't look for anybody that's got some Helix patches that I could just buy some. and. You don't want to so, do that anyway. My, I have heard yeah, people's well, experience with bought patches from helix and everybody and their mother thinks they can do it and they're all bad <laughs> oh they're all over the place and, the, the the patch levels were like this yeah one person got the same band journey don't stop believing here journey don't stop believing here it's like i don't know i don't know how are you getting and I how do you even get away with that <laughs> And it's like, and why is line six, you know, saying, okay, you know what? You got your volume set here. That is where the media. The, All you know, the they needed was input output metering. Yeah. Fractal has it. Fractal has had it. Okay. This is not a new thing. They had it before the Helix came out. Yeah. And the Kemper doesn't have monitoring or like volume levels like that. But, but when you do the profile, it sets it for a unity volume. So unless you've adjusted it. It should be basically right. the same. Right. And that's, and I know that that's a big difference. Um, 
what I really want to do, I mean, the truth of the matter is I just want to find, like, I hate to admit it, but at least in the beginning, I just want to find two good amps, That's a clean amp and a dirty amp, and I could build a patch for dirty stuff and a patch for clean stuff, and I should be able to, um, you know, do those, where the one patch does everything. I can add and subtract my pedals just like I would in real life. A virtual rig. Right. Well, a I have a whole rig. episode, I think, where I discuss the virtual rig problems with the Helix, but... Um, that's where that's where I want to go with it. And if it can't get there, then I can't. I, it's not usable to me. The problem is, so the amp switching virtual rig thing, like I had issues because you couldn't exclude certain pedals from the snapshot. So you could use snapshots to turn on two or three effects, like for a given, it's like say verse, chorus, bridge thing, yep. you know, where you could have it programmed out and then you hit one and you stay, I, everything has to stay on the same patch because there's a vol, there's a, there's a gap, like a, like a one second delay between switching patches. So yep. um, you have to build them this way. So if you're going to have two amp, two amp sounds in one in one song, you're going to switch with a, a snapshot and it's going to turn off one amp and then turn on the other one. Um, but, now the, I... but the problem is you can't exclude pedals from that and have them on or off to independent of snapshots and stuff like there's there's some weird global stuff. They were supposed to add that at some point. I don't know whether they did or not. Um, yeah. But that was, I haven't that was that. a deal breaker for me because I finally just got to the point where I was like, you know what? If I can't just build a rig in here and use that all night long, this is not what I want to use. And it, it, and supposedly they fixed that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think they were at 2.8 when you left or two point, uh, going to 2.82. They were at 2.7 when I left. Yeah. So they were going to 2.82 and it's 2.92 now. Yep. So they've they've moved to, and it, and again it might be there, but I, but my biggest and that's the thing that um, I knew going in, but I think that I wanted to stress to people and and uh, and I kind of want to dunk the ball here at the end here, is when you buy one of these things, don't expect to play guitar for a couple of days. And most of what you're going to do is okay. Does this sound good? Does this sound good? Does this sound good? Unless for a while, unless, unless you're really technical and you spend eight hours at it. Right. Right. And I couldn't. I, I am not that person that wants to sit there and mess with this stuff for hours at a time. I had a birthday party to go to yesterday. Well, well I think I, had, I think part of your issue is that you started out with the computer side of it, and yep. I didn't. You know what I did? I sat. I sat. You know, cross legged on the floor, and and twiddled the helix. And and I think that's if you want to get up to speed, don't mess with like the software updates and all that stuff fast, unless you want to just make sure you have the firmware updated. That's what I did. So, yeah, I haven't done anything else. But um, again, uh, I, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, so to to finish things off, after I got done and I was so frustrated this afternoon, I'm looking at my email and and I got an email from Line Six because I closed both my tickets because now I don't need their freaking help. I didn't need their help. They didn't give me. Oh, they any finally help. reached out to you. The thing, the thing reached out and said, um, you know, you know, your tickets are closed. How did we help? <laughs> how do we, how do we do? Not at all. <laughs> didn't do a thing. Didn't do Why do you have an automated system? Your automated system isn't even, even, even smart enough to know you didn't get involved in the tickets. That was the other message I wanted to mention. So Jim and I had another message where he sent me back and he said, what models are good in the Helix? And I said, I said, well, there's like two of them. I was just kind of joking, you know, like half joking. Yeah. And then, and then we kind of went back and forth. I mentioned that the King of Tone was a really good drive in there. And so then I sent him helixhelp.com, which is an independent manual 
run by community people right. who who use the helix because they don't have a pilot's guide that explains to you what each thing is modeling. No, they have a pilot's guide for the GUI and that's about it. The the biggest thing that that ticked me off is this. It's a good and a bad thing. Um the community is really what makes the helix exist. I don't think if it wasn't for people who are who are steadfast. I hate to admit it, Chris Taggart, but he's in there. Um, Chad Boston, uh, Richie Castellano, um, you know, Corey, uh, if, if those guys weren't in uh, the group and and actively using this thing in a professional level, I mean, Richie's using this thing with Blue Oyster Cult. I mean, so if you're out there and you're doing this stuff um, and you're doing this stuff uh, um, professionally, um, uh, Corey uses it uh, for Shania Twain and uses it for other people. Richie's using it for... But that's um, their job. Not, it's not like they have a day gig. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> um, and I'm sure they've got some people helping them tweak some stuff. I'm sure that Rich... Uh, what's his name? Rich um, from from Line 6. Yeah, I think they get some assistance from Line 6 directly. They have a podcast and they've talked about sending people out to work with various... Uh, artists, artists, and and to get them squared away. If you know what really ticked me off? You know what else really ticked me off? So Pete Thorne, right after I put this thing and set it up and did all this work, Pete Thorne does a video with uh, Line Six, and what does he what does he show that that it pretty much? Um, uh, and now you can load IRs to it. I can't believe it. The eight, the new HD Pro, Pro yeah, the Pod, pod, the pod Pro. Pro. You know you what? The, put Pod Pro, the Pod Pro might be an option for you. Although I would not use the Pod Pro. I mean, that's not. I just I want the control. Like if I'm going to go down the software product, the magic of being able to do digital is to have control over every single parameter that you can want. Right. Um. If you can't do that, it kind of doesn't make sense to me. So and you want to be able to look at. The, I mean, if you look at my real pedal board and then you look at this pedal board, I want the same number of pedals. Yeah. And if I'm throwing an amp and an IR in there, I just use two oh, slots. Oh, you haven't gotten to the to the software limitations of Helix yet, have you? I, I haven't had to. Well, what is wait. it, 18? Uh, it isn't, no. So you've got the two processors, which are the two lines, right? And yep. then you can have, the, each one has its own amount of DSP. So if you put two King of Tones on one line, you're basically done. Because that model <laughs> requires a lot of horsepower. So it's it's hit or miss. You don't know until you've done it. So you're going to find out real quick that there are limitations in Helix that make it real fun. There is an ultimate routing, and if I can remember how to do it, I'll tell you how to do it. But basically, that's how you get two amps with completely independent signal chains where you can have different signal chains going into the amps, different signal chains coming out of the amps, and it's, you can either split them or run them in mono. Um, and so the way you switch between is just silence one. You know, it's, it's a whole thing. But somebody came up with this routing to get the most out of the horsepower because it doesn't. All right. So the shark chips that are in it, when they came out, like probably seven or eight years ago, they were freaking stellar. But the problem is that that line six has used them to the point where they're like full to bursting, basically. And they didn't give us enough signal processing power. So all I can say is you didn't wait for Helix squared. 
So that's a real problem here. Yeah, I don't think that Helix score is going to come out anytime soon. It could. It, I think it's, it's right around. I, I think it's right around the corner. To be honest with you, that's my lot. I wouldn't be surprised if in the winter one days after I have this thing, that's I, when it's going to drop. I'll bet you Winter Nam twenty twenty one or thereabouts because we may not have Winter Nam. Um, will be Helix squared drop date. I wouldn't be surprised at all because all of well, their competition. All of their so. competition has now exceeded what they're doing. And they have not launched a flagship product in that line. I don't think they're going to replace the entire line overnight. I think you'll see the Helix Squared 2.0, whatever they call it. Um, I think they should call it Squared. I think they should pay me a bunch of money to do it. Um, I think the Helix, the next iteration, will come out. And then they will do the line one name at a time until they get down to the stomp. And the reason for that is they don't want to update the stomp right away because that's their cash cow. And they know that when that thing comes out in 2023, you know, July 2023, it'll be a big deal. So, because everybody's going to be waiting for it. The stomp, the stomp was on my radar. The problem with the stomp that I had is just what you said. It, it doesn't take pedals well. So now I have to worry about doing what I want to be able to do inside of a stop. And I don't mind doing what I want to do inside the stop. My biggest problem is three buttons. I don't know that that I was just going to say, I don't know that it doesn't take pedals. Well, I've heard that there's that like the AD converters are different, but I've heard, yeah, like you said, that the three pedals is super limiting and you only get one line of DSP in the stop. Yeah. So you're already like, it, you're going to eclipse that almost immediately. The stomp is a Swiss army knife that you put on your board to work with the pedals you already have. It's not a device you buy to be the be all end all one stop shop. Um, where, and, and in your case, you would have to tear apart your boards and redesign what you're doing around the stump. Yeah. Around the stump, which, which is funny because it's a $600 device. You have to redesign your board around. Yep. Yep. Um, whatever. So, there's that, and then there's another toy behind you that, that we can't see because your chair's in the way. Yeah, so I'll move a little bit. Our listeners in. So there's the spark. That lit a fire under Jim's rear end. Yeah, the spark. So I, I ordered my spark in June, and uh, I fully didn't expect it to show. Is it, um, is it worth $100? Yeah. No, it's worth <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying that because of the ad from last week. Yeah. So, <laughs> it's it's worth the money. I, now here's so it shows up. Uh, first of all, I've been checking my thing every day because they every week they send out a thing. The sparks are gonna are gonna ship. The sparks are gonna ship. Sure. You can sure. track. You can track your spark in on Someday. this web page. Mine has not shipped. According to their web page, mine has not shipped. So I get this UPS thing. This is what's what's funny. I get this UPS uh, uh, email or a text that says UPS, uh, this this tracking number is coming to your home, uh, and it'll be there on Friday. You're like, oh, that's weird. I said to my son, I go, did you order something that's supposed to get here Friday? Oh yeah, yeah, I'm, I ordered something. Is it coming UPS? Yeah, yeah. I said okay, because I thought maybe I ordered something, but okay, it's your thing. <laughs> sure enough, his item came on Friday, and then he and then I look and I said and I see positive grid at the outside of a cardboard box Co positive grid what the heck so i'm like oh it's my spark and my bag because i paid extra for the bag <laughs> did you 
I open the cardboard box, and there's a spark in there. I'm not mad about that. It's right there. Set it up. Looking for the bag. Open the box. Looking through the box. Nothing. No bag. Now, I talked to John Bott because he did the same thing, our show listener, John Bott. And he told me, he goes, my bag came separately, but they came on the same day. He said, but I was, you know, he was one of the first people. So maybe that's the item that is going to ship in August 12th to the 20th. I don't know. But mine still says it's shipping. I may get a second spark with a bag. I have no idea. We'll see. Seriously? Like, they... Positive grids can't seem to get anything right. Well, they could. I mean, yeah. So, I mean, you could put the the bag is back. Is the bag back ordered? Is the bag back ordered? No, they're waiting on it from. Yeah, that's probably exactly what's going on. They're waiting from the slow boat from from, uh, from, from China. Uh, China or, you know, People's Republic or whatever. Well, these are built in China. So, but it's it's just ridiculous that I'm still waiting for for the simple part. Did the the free T-shirt, so to speak. I mean, I, I paid an extra thirty something dollars for the bag. I better get the bag, right? I all mean, right, all right. So, you you used it? Okay, so the spark was a little bit better as far as the okay, turn it on, usable tones. I have a complaint with it. What is that? Okay, so when you when you turn it on. And you go to like, let's say, and it's it's just like, I should grab the thing so you can see the top of it, but it's just like the, the, um, uh, the katana. Right. It's got an acoustic setting, clean, kind of dirty. Yeah. Dirtier, whatever, metal. So you've got pretty much the same settings. Here, hold on just one second. Let me, uh, let me get a card because I need to write down, uh, I'm going to get an image of this from you. So, dang it! I'll I'll show it to the to the camera too, but it's got yeah. So See it's got modes. Yep, all those modes. All right. Am I showing the right end of it? Yeah. 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 So, it's got acoustic bass. So you got a bass setting, so you can play bass. Um, clean, classic, crunch, high gain, metal. So it's got one extra mode that the uh, katana doesn't have. That's bass. Um, you've got your, you know, your standard bass, treble, whatever, your delay, reverb, and modulation. Okay. You can go into the software. You can set it up. You can download the app, which is not named what they tell you it's named. Okay, so they tell you. Right here on their paperwork. What's, uh, it, what's it called? What does it say? Download and install. Spark Control App. The Spark Control App. It is not called the Spark Control App. Let's look at my iPhone. <laughs> print screen, when I print went screen to, what you show me. When I went to, to uh, yeah, I'll have to do that for you. When I um uh, went to uh, get it, it is called Spark. <laughs> Just Spark. And when I when I went to find it, it's actually not called the Spark Control app. 
that is a different company's thing altogether. So what that tells you is they didn't actually get the app registration when they had the cards printed up. And instead of getting new cards, they sent them out anyway. That's embarrassing. This is a software company. Positive Grid is a software company. And they don't know how to sell software. Let's just let that sink in for a minute. If you use this QR code, though, at least it got you to the right place. So they they didn't have the name, they thought. So if you do search for a Spark Control app, let's do that, shall we? <laughs> let's go into my iPhone. And we'll go into the App Store, right? And we'll click here, and we'll say Spark Control Here's what here's what's important. There are two spark controls. Okay. Oh Neither gosh. of them. I don't know if that's focusing or not. One says spark control E, which is not it. And one says Perico spark control. Neither one of these is the spark control those app. The, those are the suggested. And neither one of them. Right. And neither one of them takes you. To the Spark Control app. Does that look like the Spark Control app to you? Nope. No, it does not. It looks like a remote for a fire stick. Okay. That's the other one is no, it, it is just some random thing, too. I'm like, are you kidding me? You guys couldn't get this right? They couldn't name the damn thing right. So I get the I get the app. Now I will say this. It it connected beautifully. It it worked fine. Um Figuring out, I had to get my son to show me how to get the. Uh, so, you bring up the app. Let's bring up the app, shall we? Let's let's talk a little bit about the app, just a little bit, because it's so fun. <laughs> oh, let me show my face, my phone. There we go. So in the app, whoops, wrong app. <laughs> That's not surprising. That. Yeah. Oh, I have to turn it on anyway. In the app, you can you can pick apps. Yeah, right? you swipe right and left. It's like right. You know, well, guess what? Something. Let's say I choose the drive pedal. Okay, how do you turn the the drive pedal on and off? How do you do that? What would you think you would do? Here's a drive pedal. You Here's think a you would touch the button? You would think you touch the button, right? So that works, right? Yes. And then to control it, you would do this. How do I choose a different drive pedal? Swipe right or left. You swipe up. Nope. I guess you would hit it, hit it in the line, right? And you hold on it in the line or something. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you double now, tap. Ready? Now let's choose that one. Yep. How do I how do I control it now? Do I double click it? No, you click the thing up top. In the line. I mean, it's not so, intuitive, but no, it's not intuitive. It's just, it's just a little bit of a pain in the ass. Why can't I double click? Everybody double clicks these days. Do you know why this isn't? You know why this is not intuitive? Because this was why? an afterthought. This was I how do so. we make the cost of the hardware so cheap? We don't put a user interface on it. We let people use a user interface they have in their pocket, and that's bullshit. 
Because I'll tell you right now, in five years, when your phone just no longer launches the Spark app, you've got a paperweight. Yep. And and the thing is, and that yeah, that's a, pa- a pain in a rump. The other side of it is, you can have you can have as many freaking uh, presets as you want in here. That is beautiful. Yeah, I do like that. I put a ton of presets in here, but I'm only going to be able to load four to this. Which I mean, are you really going to use more than four presets on this? No, it's I mean, it's a freaking practice amp. When are you it ever doesn't gonna weigh be, anything. Whenever you ever going to be away from your amp when you're carrying the thing around? The other thing is. I don't know why you bought the bag for it because it's never going to leave your desk anyway. Where are you taking it? You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> unless, I, right. Unless I'm going to a party or, you know, at a friend's house and they want me to bring in a, a guitar, an acoustic guitar. And I mean, that's really it. That's, that's it. I mean, the truth of the matter is you're right. Here's another thing. This, this strap, this is this is mindful of like an '80s strap they would put on one of those. Remember the the ones on the '80s when you would get a um a what do you call it that you put on your shoulder like this, a boom, right? A boombox, yeah. Boombox, right? A boombox. And what always what invariably happened to these? They broke. They broke right here because they're shitty plastic straps. <laughs> this is slightly thicker than those. Slightly. I do. I mean, I do like the fact <clears throat> that it's it's stereo and it's forty watts and all the other stuff. It's, Let's how, just say this. How loud Would is it? I, and it's fucking loud. It is fucking loud. It really is, does sound bigger than it is. It really does. If if people, if you've heard people say it sounds big, it does sound big. It does sound wide. They did a good job I of making I guarantee it. you it doesn't sound as big as that DSL 40 behind you or the twin. No. No. Because I can't get that thing up to a certain, but, <laughs> that thing is, it's, <clears throat> in the twin, oh, the twin blow it away. It's loud. But could you gig with it? No way. I mean, yeah. if you were a solo act in a freaking uh, coffee shop, maybe. But no other way. But I, I will say this about it. If what you're buying it for is practice amp, little practice amp, like a T, and you don't want to pay the full price for THX, this is this is okay. Um, it, there are some things I haven't tried. That's why I want to put a video. I'll put a video together and I'll... David's going to put that in here. I determined that the THR was the same price. The THR 10 watt is the same price. Right. This is 40. The THR 30 watt is I don't, $500. I don't think we were talking about wattage. I think we we're talking about a feature comparison. Because that's... Feature comparison all right, so is yeah, the same. Oh, the wattage is X or whatever. But the reality is this. Look, when you're talking about home theater type audio systems, wattage doesn't yeah. mean a whole lot. It's about your resistance, how how you know efficient your speakers are, and all these different things. So, yep. I I think if the going, true competitor is the is the ten watt Yamaha THR, but that's that's yeah. my personal assessment. Probably, I haven't tried the the ten watt yet, so I don't know. Um, but I do know it 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 it's going to do the job, and that's just a little practice amp plug in play when I don't want to have to do anything. Um, yeah, that's mine back there. Yeah. With the volume yeah. on like 0.03. The, <laughs> the truth of the matter is, and this is this is what really will block, boggle your mind. The 2x12 Fender is what my practice amp has been. I plug I plug into channel. Yeah, but you've two. got but you've got the, the the attenuation on there, so yeah. And I put it down to one watt and I just play it through there. Yeah. 
And it's all be. day long, one watt through two 12 speakers is just as loud as this thing. We have at least one show listener who still has a katana uh, head. And uh, yep. that's what I was using the head for. Yeah. Yeah, the katana head would be the same thing. Money-wise, I, I think if you were to say to me, somebody who's owned the katana and this, um, which would you buy if you're going to gig with it? A katana. Yeah. All day duh, long, the katana. Duh. Yeah, for sure. Come on. If you're going to ever take it to a gig, the katana. I don't care if you get the one by 12. Um, I, I, I'd i buy the katana. The katana 50 is the same price as this. And you've got all the same stuff. But you've got a thing that you can take to a gig. You can play it. It's 12 inches and it's 50 watts and it's a lot more power. All right. A lot more power. So we're going to hear more about the Spark over the next couple of weeks, I'm sure. I'm sure we're going to hear more about the Helix over the next couple of weeks. We have just spent an hour doing what's new, Jim. So let's... Uh, Let's switch gears. We have a topic. We're going to race through it. I don't think it's, I think it's a topic we've sort of covered on the show before, but I think we're going to look at it in a different context. Um, so the first topic, and I, and I, I sprung this one on Jim the other day and I didn't give him any context to this one, but um, show listener Dan Kish uh, asked me an, an interesting question the other day. He said, have you ever played a plywood guitar? And I thought to myself and I said, yeah, I have. I mean, I've played some plywood guitars, I'm sure. Um, and I, and I thought of the, what they were like the couple that I have. And, um, I reached out to him and I said, yeah, I've played some plywood guitars before. And I said, I didn't, my impression wasn't, they weren't like anything spectacular. Um, but, uh, I think the body has less impact than the neck and the hardware has more of an impact than the body wood does. So that's a big, big component of this, right? My, my, at least my thoughts on it. Obviously, you'll get the people out there that will tell you, well, the body wood is 50% of the sound or whatever. And it's like, no, I, I, I actually don't I don't agree with that. I think I think your hardware is probably 50% of your sound. I think your pickups are probably 30% of your sound. And then the rest is probably wood selection. Um, so and, and glue, because that's another another component, which I, it sounds insane. But there's a guy who makes very expensive high end guitars and he, he's his determination was that the glue you use on the fretboard is significant to the amount of treble response that you get out of a guitar. And he and he has this like crazy that. formula that he uses. But anyway, um, so he asked me this. And then I was like, yeah. And I was kind of like, I, I wasn't brushing him off, but I was kind of like, well, you know, this is not a conversation I can really have because I don't have super, you know, I've never played one I really liked, right? You know what I mean? Um, I know that some of the 70s Gibsons were uh, basically plywood because they were using the sandwich bodies with the uh, the edges that made it look like they weren't they weren't plywood. But you take the pickups out and you can see the ply going down in there. Um, and I know Fender's done it before too in the CBS era, and I know that they've done it with Squire, and we know that Samick did it for a number of companies in the '90s when they were doing Korean production. I know um, for a fact Squire's still doing it. Yeah, Squire's still doing it on certain stuff. Uh, the, the Bullet line is probably still. I'm sure the pack guitars are, but the bullet I'm, line is probably still. I'm sandwiches. pretty sure the affinity line is is still sandwich. Yeah. Okay. So, um, my biggest concern with plywood guitars is the weight, because you're using glue, uh, and glue is much heavier than wood is. And if you've ever bought wood, you buy a solid piece of wood. It's a lot lighter than a piece of plywood is. A lot lighter, like an intense amount of lighter. 
and I see that I have a cat that's about to jump on my tower of power. <laughs> I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the cat to jump up to the top of the tower of power. And then yeah, I might have to I might have to go looking get her. to launch. No, Michonne. she's looking to launch. Michonne. Stay away from the tower of power. <laughs> as far as you're concerned, that's the, the uh Power of Faradur. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so there's your Lord of the Rings reference for the evening. Um, so I'm looking at my topic and I'm thinking, where are we? I'll apply with guitars. So yeah. anyway, the glue he tells the me, that, yeah, the glue and the weight thing and whatever. And like, that's kind of where my, my brain's going. And then he sends me pictures of the guitar that I played. It's plywood that I didn't realize was plywood. He had a harmony. He has a harmony electric. And I don't know what air it is, but we think it was like, I think he told me it was a seventies guitar. Uh-huh. And it, I mean, this thing has been beat to hell over the years and he's, and he's played that crap out of it. Um, it's not a closet classic. Okay. It, I, he at one point shot an arrow through this guitar. Um, <laughs> and, uh, he, a crossbow bolt into the guitar. Uh, and yeah. so we sat and we, we played it together. Like I played it and then he played it like last summer. And I, I played it for a while and I was like, this reminds me of my Fender Jimmy Vaughn Strat, which has a certain vibe to it. And I don't play the guitar a whole lot. Um, it has sentimental value to me. Um, it was the guitar that I gigged with the most when I was in high school. And um, so I kept it around and like, I still play it from time to time, but right now it's sitting in a case. It's, it hasn't come out of the case in probably six or eight months. Um, but I can remember like, this got kind of that vibe. And I played it some more, and I was like, there's no real dead spots here. And it plays decently, and it doesn't have too much fret rattle. Like, it had some fret rattle. And it probably for me, I probably would have pulled the action back a little bit or or yeah. adjusted the truss rod. But for, for his playing style, it was perfect. And I was kind of sitting there, and I was thinking, like, not a bad guitar. And now he tells me it's plywood. So he just rocked my world. Because, to be honest with you, like, I think that guitar is better than they gave it credit for just on the harmony name. And then now he's telling me, and then he, he gave me the breakdown of like what the pickups were made out of. And cause he's, he, I guess he's put, I don't know what he's doing to it, but he's working on it. Um, and he had pictures of it all taken apart and the pickups are uh ceramic magnet bar magnet. And um, I thought they were pretty good. They were beefy. They weren't like classic single coils, but they weren't, um, but they weren't, uh, super modern either. Um, it's, it's a cool instrument. Like it had it had an interesting vibe to it. So plywood guitars, I, and it's not too heavy either. So that's the other the other component. I think if it's done right, you can get away with it. Um, I would I would I buy a plywood guitar knowingly? Probably not. No, no. But I think it's just more of like a hey, I'm gonna get what I pay for kind of thing. That's a five-piece sandwich right there. Yeah. So I'm pointing for the for the people just listening. I'm pointing to my Gibson Flying V. Yeah. That is a five-piece sandwich. And it's actually a lot more than five pieces. Yeah, the I was going to say, they used to be like five, seven, seven and yeah, nine pieces in some cases. The yeah. wings, yeah, there it, there's 15 at least in the body because it's, it's a five-piece sandwich center, and the wings are five-piece sandwich, and they're separate. So that's fifteen piece, Get fifteen sandwich pieces, and then of course they're glued together with each other here in the center to the center. Then the neck itself 
which is a set neck, so there's another glue spot, is another five-piece neck. That's a five-piece neck that runs up to a seven-piece headstock. So basically what you're telling me is you're, play, you're playing glue. <laughs> I'm playing a glue guitar right there. So I'm not, I am not putting down a freaking a guitar like that. Look, some of the greatest guitars that came that are that are hated by some and lauded by others. Dan Electros of the sixties. The, the, there's so many what, plywood guitars. Wouldn't the Dan Electros have like a cardboard top or something? Yeah, silver tone. Yeah, um, you know, come on, they're 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 out there and they're loved by a lot of people. I'm not going to put down a plywood guitar. Is it my thing? Hey, if you want to call that thing plywood, it's plywood, and it's and it's. It's already a, a much loved guitar by me and everybody that's played it so far. That's all my friends. My Les Paul, not not plywood. My my SG, not plywood. But it's barely above plywood thickness, right? I I bought yeah. pieces of plywood, and that that thing right there. I don't know what freaking how many pieces of wood are in that Strat. I mean, so hey, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put it down. I I look at it this way. If you love the guitar, this is the thing, because we're about to talk about that on another type of guitar, so I don't want to go too deep into it. I just want to say, if you love a guitar, and you love the way it feels, and you love the way it plays, that is the one for you. Do it. The only thing I want to, I want to caveat here. So we're talking about plywood guitars. I want, I want to kind of define what a plywood guitar is. So plywood guitar is like a guitar that is assembled from other pieces and glued together. And it's a very basic definition, but I want to talk about the body specifically. Usually the body is sandwiched together and they often try to hide it because they don't want you to see the edges are made out of ply. Um, now, there are different types of plywood. There's void free and there's voided plywood. Right. And voided means there's holes in it. Yes. Uh, and we're not talking about weight relief. We're talking about like literal holes where they just don't, they don't compress the plywood together. Um, they glue it, but it's not like they use a press to, to smash all the pieces into perfect harmony. Right. Right. Um, and in there, we're talking about a completely different composite. Yeah. I hope, I hope we don't have well, too many people. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, they're <laughs> being real pains in the butt tonight. I really hope that no one in our listenership buys a voided plywood guitar. And I would think yeah, if you're going to get one, that's probably going to come from China. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because that sounds like something that would come out of bad cat instruments. And I could say that yeah. because I own <laughs> Shengzhou. Okay. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, this leads me to another show conversation that I had with uh, um, one of our Patreon supporters, um, Stephen Conrad. And he approached yeah. me and he says, what do you think of heritage guitars? And I thought about it for a minute. Actually, like, actually had to think this over because heritage changed hands, right? So we, I think we talked about that. Um, they now have a parent company. Heritage used to be independent, independent, or like yep. they were allowed to run themselves at least. And then this new company came in, and they're looking to modernize and to to bring some new life to the company. And one of the first things that happened was a bunch of people quit or were laid off because they refused to work with CNC. Okay. So uh, yep. that's that's basically the beginning of this story, right? Um, so I responded to him and I said, Heritage makes great stuff. And I said, if you can get something of the right era, Heritage makes sense. It makes a lot of sense for a lot of people. Um, 
And it also has to be a conversation about what are you expecting to do with this guitar? So this led me to the topic, which is um, it, when somebody comes to you and they ask you a question like that, with heritage being what it is, my first inclination was to answer the question with, well, I wouldn't buy a new one because I'm not really sure if they're going to be worth anything. And on top of that, I don't know if they're any good anymore. Like they're, there's, they're not a proven track record anymore, right? Because they've got a new owner and it's been about a year or two down the road since they started modernizing. And so yep. I'm sure the instruments are starting to change coming out of the factory, which means that you might be buying junk. I don't know. And I can't put my name behind that. However, I think given their previous reputation, if you can get your hands on one and you can play one and you like it, it's probably pretty good. Um, and it's worth it. So liking something is always important when you have to answer that question, right? That's that's part of it. But um, I wanted to talk about what qualities we should be looking at. And I said three qualities, but I'm sure there's more. Um, these are the qualities that I look at when I buy a guitar and I think Jim can comment and um, we can, you know, go from there. So basically what I said is the three things that are the most important parts outside of sound, because if you don't like the way the guitar sounds, why, in the yeah, hell why are, are you buying it? Buying it? Um, yeah. Don't think new pickups are going to be the, the tell all end all or the panacea to the fact that you don't like the sound of it. Right. Truth. So fit and finish used value. <laughs> because every guitar is great until it's used <laughs> and then you sell it, you know, every guitar is great until you don't have it anymore. And then you're like, thank God I got rid of that one. Um, and need. So, um, and I'm not talking about once and I'm not talking about needs versus once. I'm just talking about like, where's it, what's it going to, what hole is it going to fill in your arsenal? And if you're right. a practicing musician, meaning you have like a gig or you're doing some sort of studio stuff, you have a need, right? Otherwise you're not looking. Or right, you or it's a want, and then if that's the case, then this is probably a whole different other conversation because then you're a collector, right? Um, so <laughs> fit and finish. Does the guitar is it set up properly? Does it have good frets? Is it you know is it does it does it have a warped neck? There are is the uh, the finish evenly applied? Um, yep. Are there binding errors? Are there paint errors? Um, are the screws drilled properly? Does the back plate sit flush with the body? Um, all these different little things that can happen when a guitar is produced. Um, fit and finish is consistency. Like, so if I'm going to buy Heritage, I'm going to buy New Heritage, I want to think about all of the Heritage line being the same, meaning that they're all uniform. Used value. So this is where Heritage gets sticky, right? So if I was to buy a Heritage, um, I have to be sure that if I'm going to sell it, I'm going to recoup what I'm comfortable with out of my investment. And for me, totally. that's for me that's usually two thirds. Um, yep. And that really largely depends on the price of the guitar. So if I'm going to buy, if I'm going to buy a twenty-four hundred dollars Paul, like I'd like to be able to get two grand out of it when I sell it, or so, so that would be ideal. Yeah, I would be ideal. But you're going to get seventeen hundred. I mean, that's that's what you're probably going to get out of it. Um, so you're going to take a hit, and you got to be comfortable with that hit. And even if I'm buying a guitar and I'm like, this guitar is for life, I have to be really, really cognizant of the fact that things change. And, it might not be for life. And it might <laughs> not be for life. Um, and then, of right. course, need. Uh, so I'm looking at dual humbucker guitars because that's basically what I need for my solo gig right now. 
Uh, I also think they work out really well for the kinds of things I'm doing with uh, the cover band. And hopefully when the, the Rona ends, we'll be back doing that. Um, and so that's, that's kind of the way I look, would look at and evaluate an instrument. Jim, do you have other criteria, things you'd like to add? Um, yeah, a, a very good friend of mine, somebody I respect very much says that if a guitar doesn't sound well, or if a guitar doesn't sound good, um, acoustically, and I don't care that it's not an acoustic, obviously any of these guitars acoustically, if it doesn't sound good acoustically, don't even bother. Don't yeah. even bother plugging it in because it's not going to inspire you. Um, well, but that's sound, so that sets yeah, that sound. That's sound, but it's a sound unplugged. So I'm just I'm just stating that. Um, and I'm going to say this because I said it earlier. Um, I think it's a guitar when you when you look at it and it and it calls you, it beckons you, and then when it when you put it in your hands and you play it and you're like, I love this. I love this feel. I love this. I love this. Look, sound, and feel. Fit and finish are important. Those are those are probably the most important things are the fact that it beckons me to pick it up. That guitar beckons me to pick it up every single day. It says, pick me up and play me. And the feel of it, the the fact that I'm making whatever sounds I'm it, good, bad, or indifferent. I never feel like I sound bad when I'm playing it. Um, so, it, uh, and the SG, it does the same thing for me. So those are guitars that, that just, uh, they, they call me out every time. The Les Paul and the SG. So I say that that's the thing. Does it inspire you? That that's the thing that, that gets me. And again, you have to look at the practical side of it. So the practical side is. Is it in my price range? Can I resell it if I have to? Because we all know you may fall in love out in love with it. Um, and um, probably most importantly, because this is the biggest one that people miss, do I really have a need? I see guitars I want all the time. You know that because you hear it from me all week long. Yeah, it's boring. Oh, man. This it's boring. And yeah. <laughs> all week long, I'm like, should I get this? Should I get this? No. <laughs> No, you actually have to spend some of your money on your mortgage. Yeah, it's funny because uh, I do tell Jim, I'm like, no, what the hell are you doing? Like, there are there are literal, there's probably half the messages in your Facebook account right now are me going, Jim, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> what, are you what are you thinking right now? Um, so, yeah, does it fit within an arsenal? I have, I have been trying to convince myself for decades, not weeks, not months. Not just a few years, decades that I need a Telecaster. And guys, I don't need a Telecaster. I'm just telling you. I, no, and I, Jim, Jim finally came to that conclusion. We were watching a video last week and I pointed out there was a nice Tully in it. And he goes, he says, you know, he's like, I'm sure it is a nice Telecaster, but I don't need one. And I said, well, you just bought one like a year ago or two years ago and you loved it. He's like, no, never again. I just cannot fall in love with a Telecaster, and I, I've, I shouldn't say I have. I met one Telecaster I loved. It was a long time ago. I didn't buy it. It was a, um, it was a mid to early two thousands, um, 
they, I think they were the deluxe at the time, uh, thin line. And I've never found another neck that felt like that thin line. Never, not once have I felt another one. So, and a, and so, and a true tally lover is going to tell me that's not a telecaster. That's not a telecaster. That's a thin line. And you ain't looking at a real telecaster. So I'm sure that someone's going to say that to me. I don't think thin, thin lines are any better. No, I just, that was the only one that ever called out to me. The right. one thin can I, line. Can I, can, I, can I say something? Jim, you're a total romantic. And, and like, this is appalling to me because I hear you talking about like, that guitar's got to call out to me. It's like, dude, if I had to wait for a guitar to call out to me, I would never freaking buy one. Like that, it just I, I, honestly, like I, I'm so picky that it's no. I for me, it's a tool and it's got a purpose. I like beautiful yep. tools. I'm not afraid to admit that I like good looking tools. But right. the purpose drives. You're the romantic because it's the other way around for you. You have to justify the romanticism. I'm like the complete opposite. Like it has to have. I I don't get romantic about it until it's like nailed a few uh, holes in, in my wall. You know, like some nails into my wall. Like it's like a hammer, right? You know, or yeah. or drill, or you know, it's <laughs> it is a literal tool. And so, um, that this Kiesel, if you go back and you dig back in episodes, since I've got it here, um, if you go back and you dig in episodes, you'll hear me when I got the Kiesel immediately like complaining because I was um having problems with my thumb going numb. And I'm actually still experiencing that off and on. I'm not wearing my brace all the time, which is part of it. But um, I, I've i been experiencing this, this thumb numbness thing. And I was like, I'm going to sell this guitar. I'm going to get out from under it. I'm going to get something else. And honestly, like I've bonded with it because I've just spent so much damn time with it. Um, and I can admit that to myself, but like, I didn't get romantic about it until I'd been playing it out for like a year. And then it's like, okay, it's really good. And you know, it's really the guitar that I wrote that, you know, that EP on and like, I can't really get rid of it now. I mean, I could, uh, honestly I could, but I'm just like, I'm kind of stuck with it at this point. Um, you won't, I won't, I won't I actually probably won't. won't in this case because, uh, uh, if you've seen any of my videos, it's a really unique instrument, and and I haven't really found anything that does what it does. But um, what's funny is when when we see your videos now, you are playing that guitar. Yeah. And all right, my romanticism aside, okay, because I do want to talk about that in a second. But my romanticism aside, why do you pick up the Kiesel? Why 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 the Kiesel? Why are you not playing the G five hundred or the or the S five hundred? Well, so a lot, my songs are written around seven string arrangements, and it's easier for me to just like stick with the arrangement than to like be the creature of or the creature of anti habit, which yeah. I do do that occasionally. Where I'll play I'll play my songs on the S five hundred or I'll play them on the Godin or oh, the Godin. Um, but I think they have more impact with a seven string. And so that's part of, part of the reason why I haven't like fully converted over to playing my conventional guitars, doing this stuff live um, and doing it around the house or whatever. Uh, but, that, but that's really the only reason they, um, it's not because like it looks better. I don't honestly half the time, Jim, this is going to make you laugh so hard when I pick up my S 500, my good hand, it's not because it's not because the, the Kiesel isn't available or anything. 
It's because the Kiesel is in its case. And I'm like, I really don't want to unzip the case. Here, I'll just grab this one off the wall. Yep. <laughs> I, that happens to me. Well, because it's, it's a headless. I can't hang it on the wall. So... I, I, um, or, or I guess it's a... the other one is, uh, this is another stupid one. Oh, that guitar has a strap on it. I'll have to find a strap to put on the keys. <laughs> that, uh, oh, I can't tell you how many times. The, the V doesn't have a strap on it right now because I'm going to put strap locks on it. Don't tell anybody. Yeah. Um, so you're going gotta... to, you're going to drill strap locks into that. Gonna put pilot holes in it. Why don't you just use washers? I was. It's so hard to put a washer back on every time I take them off to put them in, put it in the case, because it's got a hard shell case, and because it goes into a hard shell case, I have to take the strap off. Yeah. Strap and as you can see right there, I've got the washers. I've got Honestly, extras. that's one of the few modifications you can do to a vintage instrument that I don't think most people will complain about. Unless it's like it's museum a, quality, perfect, like right, 57 right. Strat kind of thing. Nobody's going to complain. Um, um, yeah, and it's not going to affect the tone. I'm more worried about it affecting the wood when I uh, – that pilot hole has got to be right. I wouldn't anyway, – would, uh, to be honest with you, I'd have my luthier do it on that one. Yeah. Because yeah, – I'm because thinking about yeah. – It'll cost you eight or not – it'll cost you between eight and $15. Just have them yeah. do it. Because he's going to set it up anyway. Because at the end of the day – then you'll know it was at least done right. <laughs> That's a vintage piece you got there. It's a 19, what, yeah. 82 or something? Yeah, it's an 81. 81. And John would treat it. John would treat it with respect. Um, so going back to the thing, I, I will admit to wholeheartedly that with me, there is a romanticism about picking up that guitar. The, the whole thing. For it, it it's not even something that makes sense when I say it out loud, but I'm going to say it out loud. When I put that guitar over my head, I smell it as it goes past my face. I feel it as it goes into my um, chest, and I I when I strum it, I can feel it vibrating. I can everything that happens with that guitar is it that is what calls to me to say. We're, we're playing this guitar right now and I will, I will work hard to make a song sound better with that guitar around my neck than that one harder with Les Paul than I will with the, with the Strat because I feel like I want it to really sound good with Les Paul. Even though I know the Strat is a lot more, the, the brain side of me goes, no, you got five, Switch positions, you can get it sounding like customer, blah, 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 blah. You got all these things that you could do with the strat. There's only two positions on a strat. There's only two. Yeah, I know. The neck <laughs> and the bridge. <laughs> but I'm kidding. I know people use the in-betweens. I know people use the middle pickup, but not me. <laughs> I tend to use neck middle and bridge neck more than I use anything. But anyway, but I do use the neck you a lot. You heathen. I know. But I do use the neck and I do use a bridge. But outside of those two, that's really where I am. I push the, the thing in for neck um, neck bridge and I the little V1 switch or S1 switch. And I um, throw it to the uh, – when I want a really, really clean sound, I throw it neck, neck middle. But I'll work my butt off to make that um, Les Paul make the sound better first. 
every time. Every time. Um so it's funny to to hear that when you're when you're thinking about it because it does sound ridiculous when you say, Yeah, when I'm when I'm throwing around my neck and I smell it, what what kind of ridiculous statement is that? That's that's what my brain says. But my heart goes, Oh, that thing is like it's like I can imagine it's like what Jim a drug celebrates user. his anniversaries with his guitars. Like he buys yeah. him a bottle of wine. They they yeah. play soft music together. And I mean, I, I honestly, like I I'm all for it. I name my guitars. They're all named after, you know, Attila the Hun and stuff. Um, and honestly, these are all named after Game of Thrones characters. By I the way, so I stopped. Like... I think I stopped naming them a few years ago because I just I had so many go through my hands in like a very short time period that I was just like, I'm not going to do this anymore. Um, and now it's like. But but the point is, like, I you know, I do you do develop a relationship with him. But for me, it's like it's like the. um, It's like the person that names their gun, you know, like, <laughs> come on, Daisy, we got to do this, <laughs> you know, like uh, the soldier that names yep. their gun in a war, you know, like I, it's not yep. necessarily like. I feel any more attachment to them, yes or no. It's just like I gotta have something to call it when I'm angry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I and I'm the opposite. I I call it because I, I feel the the love for it. Right. I mean, you know, and I feel that that bond with it. This one is Batgirl. That's not surprising. You know? That not Bar- surprising, right? Tell Barbara that uh yep. I, I yep. miss my SG. That's it. She <laughs> She's Batgirl, um, you know, and this one's um, this one is uh, Daenerys. <laughs> really? But you know what this one is? <laughs> Tyrion. Tyrion. <laughs> Actually, the flying V two should be Tyrion. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> but it's not. This is Cersei. Oh, it's that's not. Cersei it's not, that's, not the, that's not the Hound. <laughs> No, it could have been the mountain. I thought about naming it the mountain. <laughs> no, you need a BC Rich for that. Yeah. <laughs> the The truth is, I'll probably one day I'll wind up with a Telecaster I like, and then I'll wind up naming that, you know, the Hound. Yeah. Because you got to have the Hound of the Mountain. They, right. They, you can't have one without the other. <laughs> nope. So I'll have to get one and name it. I haven't got a name for the acoustic yet, though. Maybe what? I'll name it after that that one person that was in. Uh, um, Game of Thrones that was a musician, Ed Sheeran. <laughs> Did you see that episode? Uh... Yeah, that that happened, folks. If you watch Game of Thrones, that did happen. Ed Sheeran showed up and they sang a song. Big so there's a little fan service for you. Yeah. But anyway, I I, I have a romanticism about it. it. It's the same with the acoustic. When I pull the acoustic out, it just it just really, really resonates with me. And I picked that acoustic. I had a choice. I mean, you think about it. I was a guitar center with, with a couple of grand. I had a choice of a lot of guitars at, at that price point. Yeah, well, well you he, can. Here's, yeah, go ahead. Here's the, here's the interesting thing I think is interesting about this conversation. Because we're all completely off topic, and that's fine. Um, yeah, we're way we're gonna We're going to stay <laughs> off topic at this point, because this is, this is too good. Um, you're talking about, like, guitars inspiring you. And I'm kind of like at the frame of mind, and I think maybe that's why I have a different opinion here and why my whole like frame shift is different. My the way I'm perceiving the situation is totally different. It's because when I play a guitar, it doesn't matter what guitar it is, it's my job to be inspired. 
And that means I have to pull from the depths of my, and I this is going to sound romantic, but the depths of my soul and somehow make whatever piece of wood with steel or nylon attached to it. Yep. Basically, and I'm gonna. This is gonna be a terrible way to put it, but I'm gonna say it anyway, um, because I I think it's kind of sexist. But I want that guitar to be my bitch, like that's and and that's the way I perceive it. It's like me and you. Hey, that could be that can refer to a male or female. Right. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Like me and you are gonna go into a room, and I'm going to tell you what you're gonna do, and you're gonna do it. And if it doesn't, then it doesn't cut the mustard. Like I look at it as like I'm leading it, you know. I get maybe that's a better way to put it. Like I lead the guitar. I'm I'm Bobby Knight, right? I'm throwing chairs across the floor and choking players, trying to get them to play bat, better basketball. Like that's 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 what I'm doing. Um, I was playing. I was watching the NBA today. Yeah. So that's kind of that's kind of my perception of this. Is that, that yeah. your impression is like no, the guitar and I enter into a partnership. For me, it's like, no, it's it's a parasitic relationship. I'm going to get what I want out of you, and you're going to give it to me, or you're going to get sold. <laughs> okay? Yeah, you're the lamprey <laughs> eel, and it is the great white. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, where I'll, I'll sit down with a guitar, and I'll say, okay, okay, what are we doing today? What are we going to do today? <laughs> no, and, I'm and telling it, you what we're going to do today. <laughs> yeah, and I have no idea. I literally have no idea until it comes into my my heart it's like i'm sitting there i'm like what song am i gonna play a lot of people like they'll say to me you know i'll I'll give you an example open mic right so i'll say okay i'm gonna go to open mic and uh i go you know up there and i every week i at the end of the show i'm like i've got this list of songs next week i am doing and when i get up there my guitar goes no you're not we are doing these songs and that's what you're going to do because that is what I've inspired you to do. That's what I've I've asked you to do. So we're going to go. We we the guitar has told me we are going to do that. And that's that's my freaky hippie side of me. That '60s flower child thing. That that's me in a nutshell. It really is. I do have. Oh, lost your your voice. I'm far away from the mic. Oh, there you go. I do have. Trying to think about the best way to word this. I do have sometimes where I kind of question, like, are me and the guitar going to be able to do this together? And where I make decisions about what I'm going to do. Um, but it's but it's definitely me in control. The other component um, I'd say with that is I definitely think that as we become more familiar with one another, um, the lines blur between whether it's me or the guitar. Like that's the the kind of esoteric way to look at it. Um, because the guitar stops being a road bump. And that's and that's basically what it is. Like I want my guitars to not be road bumps. I want them to enable me to use the best of my physicality and the best of my mental ability to be able to do what it is that I want to do. Um and so that is again that's that 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 tool mentality, right? Like the idea that um, you want an ergonomic tool so you don't tear up your hands, you know, and, and it's all about facilitating me to be the best that I can be. And so that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, technically, you know, right? Like, obviously I'm in a technique, but, um, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a technical conversation. 
it's often one that is best tool for the job. So like if I'm trying to play some dirty rock and roll, like maybe I'll use P90s, which we got a set of those to give away. Um, and I got to get that. I actually am sitting right here. It's the, uh, the volume knob that I have to install so that I can then put the pickups in and do my AB test. Uh, we had company this weekend, so I wasn't able to do it. Um, but otherwise, it's probably going to get done this week. I'm hoping. Uh, hopefully, uh, the office doesn't burn down and I can actually get some stuff done. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's basically what it is, though. Like, I, I think about things in terms of decision making instead of, um, like, just kind of letting things flow the way that they should go. And I know I know that's, like, the popular creative thing is to, like, frame a stream of consciousness and all those kind of things. Like, that's not the way I operate. It's just not the way, like, I, I think artists can be both. I think they can find the right time to win to open up the stream of consciousness and be, um, I want to say one with the universe, but, like, uh, to be open-minded about what they're doing. But I think vision is very important. And I think vision for me is, like, okay, here's the set list, and how are we going to make it as good as we possibly can? And hacking that out and sussing that out and practicing it mercilessly for hours on end, trying to come up with the best possible way to have the best possible moments of what I'm doing. That um, is probably where, I, why I fail sometimes. Because I sit down with the instrument and we play. And yet I was supposed to learn five songs for the band this week. We right? all and so, fail. That's I, I, I don't want to say Jim's saying something bad or admitting something wrong here. We all fail. I have and failed, I failed and crashed and burned many a time. And I will continue to crash and burn. It's when you realize that crashing and burning is how you get better that you know how to proceed. Um now what's funny is every single I don't have I don't own a lot of tools. It, I know that sounds ridiculous. A person that, that owns a home and has a car and is 50-something years old and is, you know, don't you have tools? No, I, re I only in the last few months, we're talking since May, have I bought a, a toolkit. Like, like with a powered screwdriver. Yeah, and, right uh, around the time you get the pressure washer, right? It, right. And so I never owned a pressure washer in my life. I own a pressure washer. I've never, I, I, um, the only real tools I've ever owned is like a, here's a, this is a lawnmower because you need to mow your lawn. And this is a, and my choice of lawnmower is like, okay, does that lawnmower look cool? I mean, is it, is it like, yeah, it's an aesthetic and, and, choice. Yeah. I, I, I put just as much, um, on aesthetics. As I do with the thing. And yet you would think that that would be the way it was my car. Anyone who's been in my car knows that is not the case. I treat my car like crap. I don't wash it. I don't wash the inside of it. I am, I, I finish a bottle of water. I throw the bottle behind me until there's too many bottles and I have to throw them away. Um, it looks like, you know, it's terrible. Um, the, uh, you should the be ashamed fact of is, yourself. Though, I am, a, I am ashamed of myself, but. Now people don't bum rides from me though. Um, so <laughs> that's a good reason to do that. It works. Um, they're like, oh, I gotta get there. Uh, I'll I'll ride with somebody else. Better um, have that thing so, clean when I come. 
Yeah, it, it will be. I'll have it detailed. <laughs> I've uh, I, And since I bought the pressure washer, it's the first time I've literally washed the car on the outside. That's the first time. Um, so, but but to, to my point, what did I choose for tools? I, I went to um, Lowe's and I said, wow, that DeWalt set looks really cool. And it's like $400. It was on sale from like $900. And it was and it's yellow and, and, and for black. as little as he uses tools, he should have bought Ryobi. Probably. And, and um, I bought the, the 20 volt max yeah. thing that had all the stuff in it. Right. I already had a, a screwdriver. Now I had a power screwdriver um, with the, uh, what do they call that? Well, you've the, got tools the, to work on guitars. I mean, yeah, but I've got another one. It, it's the 20 volt now. So I have two and I got, but I got this now. I have a circular saw, and I have a um, saw saw, or, or what they call a reciprocal saw, and um, I have a couple other tools. So um, a sander and some other things. That all came in there, um, and I made I make a I made a conscious decision then, because when I went to buy a um, thing to to put air in my tires, you know, to have on the road if you're going to run on the road. I had to buy a DeWalt because I had to match. I had to have one that matched and it needed to use the same battery. So it was just something that, that, that I did. And so I spent double the money on one that matched when I could have spent half the money and got one in its own stuff, but it would have been blue and I didn't want blue. I had to have yellow and black and it had to be DeWalt. But that's me. And so look at my Marshall. It's white. How many I know, people have a white Marshall? I know. Right? We talked about this because I was like, you totally bought that Marshall because it has white tool X. It has nothing to do with the way it sounded. No, I do love the white Marshall. You know, because I've owned several DSL-40s. Yeah. I love the DSL-40, but I love the white tool X. Look at this. This I wanted to give this Helix a try because it's gold. And we had one. So I wanted to give it a try. <laughs> We had a conversation about the Kemper, it and, the and it came up. Well. And it came up. Jim was. Jim says, to give you perspective, yeah. Jim says. Jim says, well, I have to have the white one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, one of the white one. But they don't make a white stage, so I have to have the green. Yeah, well, that lump it, green. lump it. It's fine. No, yeah. that green looks great. Shut up. <laughs> it doesn't go with anything I have. <laughs> you know what's ugly? You know what's ugly? Is this color combination on this Analog Man uh, beer koozie? Yep. Did they give you that for free? Yeah. Yeah. And not because at I least, remember the show, but because I waited forever to get a King of Tone. At least he included it. Yeah. And and that's the other thing. I wish they would make these in wood co wood colors. I need Come to get on. a hat. I should get an Analog Man King of Tone hat. An Analog Man hat. I should, because I got multiple Analog Man pedals on my board. Um, You should. And honestly, like, if my wife wants to get me something for Christmas, I'll just tell her, just go to Analog Man and buy me something. Yeah. Like, yeah. in all honesty, like, everything I've got from him so far has been great. Like, other level great. Um, can you remember when I, when I, this is going back in time, but when I got my son face, and I, and I, I think I FaceTime called you or something. You still had like, your Helix when you got your son Yeah, face. and I was like, listen to this thing. And it was like a drive pedal. And I was just sitting there like, this is the best fuzz face I've ever heard. And, of course, I owned several at the time. Um, they've all gone now. Um, yeah. 
which reminds me, this is another video I need to do. It's Jason Fuzzmonger's pedal, and I gotta get back to him. I've had this thing for over a year now. Um, I'm just so behind on crap, man. We are terrible at this stuff, but we've got to put put our foot down. Yeah, we're trying to get we're trying to get things our more consistent. Down. If you didn't see last week's episode, last week's episode is the first episode where we started flying in extra material into the video yep. episode. So it's video enhanced. If you're a podcast listener, you'll get to hear it. Um, you might miss some of the visual content. Uh, you can you can always go to the the YouTube channel and you can actually watch the video and skip to the timestamp because I'm going to start timestamping as much as I can. Um, if you want to add something as a timestamp, if you're watching this show, uh, you can put it in the comments below, and I will try to make sure that it gets added to the list of timestamps in the in the commentary. Um, I'm I have no problem running YouTube that way. Um, it's the video editing that's a real challenge, and I think we're probably going to be a little bit more sporadic ep- with episodes in the future, just because, um, like last week's episode took me four and a half hours to edit. And then I was having problems doing the encoding so they could upload it to YouTube. I know at some point we're going to get a lot more consistent because I'm getting up to speed. I'm yeah. getting faster at this. I've been doing it professionally now, too. So that's a whole other a whole other ball of wax. I do it at work as well. So I am fast at video editing. I'm getting faster. Uh, I know that at some point in the future, I'll have the edit time down to an hour or two. But right now it is abysmal. So the episodes are going to be sporadic. I'm just warning everybody. It's just it's yeah. just the way it's going to be for a while. Um, but, uh, if you haven't noticed, all I do for the audio podcast version of this is export the audio from the video file. So, um, I try, we're going to try our best to make sure that when we continue through this process of, of transitioning to video, not as the primary format, but as, as a, a component of the podcast, um, I'm going to try to do our best to make sure that we're calling out things that are visual on the show when Jim shows something and try to describe it. Um, and maybe we'll even start doing screenshots in the show notes of the actual video content so that people can see it. Um, and I think actually another thing I'm going to do is in the podcast, um, the podcast notes, I'm going to start putting the YouTube video link because I do end up uploading the YouTube video first and I keep it private. So I get the URL that's going to be the link and then I can copy it into the, episode of you and publish them both at the same time. And that will allow people to be able to jump back and forth pretty seamlessly. So uh, I'm, I'm hoping that people are enjoying, uh, as we go along, enjoying the video content we're adding in. Um, I think it's important. Uh, and hopefully you guys are, uh, I did an experiment uh, this weekend and, uh, my experiment was I uploaded the YouTube video and I left it yep. up for a day before I did the, I put the MP3 up. And I had people actually reach out to me and message me. So I know people are watching it on YouTube, which is good. Um, I, we do have analytics. I can see people watching. I just don't know how many of our show, regular show listeners are watching it in that format. And that's kind of right. what I was looking for. Because um, I knew I posted in the group, hey, the video's up. Um, and uh, I know we've got subscribers too. We're, we're, we're hovering around 100 subscribers. Please subscribe. If you watch the show, subscribe. Like and subscribe. It's not that hard, folks. And share um, it. Yeah, Even if share it around. Person, if you guys are sharing this and we got one person that you share it with, that that's that starts to grow. And then the growth is well, the other thing we're gonna do is we're gonna start we're gonna start taking hot takes, quick segments. I think we're gonna do one from this episode. I think when you did the um when I psychoanalyze you for a moment, I think we're gonna chop that out and make that a short a short 
uh, clip episode. Like people can, yeah, well, it'll be a part of the main like episode, that. but that yeah. way you can like short verse. <clears throat> you can just watch me berate Jim about being romantic or, um, that kind of thing. So we can kind of chop things like up it. and make it a little bit more uh, digestible. Because I know watching a two-hour YouTube video sucks. I can tell you it yeah. does. Um, but I would assume that you're probably watching and it's on the background somewhere and you got headphones on or whatever. You're at work and you're listening. And then and then something comes yep. up and you're like, oh, I want to see that. And then you click over and you. So anyway, uh, we went way over tonight. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight we have been Practical Guitars.